is here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877 877-381-3811. 877-381-3811. By the way, where's Mitch McConnell? Has anybody seen or heard from Mitch McConnell? I mean, he's the guy behind the scenes. He's the Svengali who put all this together. He's the good-for-nothing, big-spending, deal-cutting, self-serving, phony politician who put this all together behind closed doors and threatens his colleagues in the Senate. Should they dare to challenge him or question him? This is a man who has sold his soul to the special interests. A complete sellout. And I'll get into him and more of this in a moment. I want to congratulate my fellow conservative radio talkers who have finally awakened to the fact that we have a problem here. That we have a problem here. Now, I want to read you a few quotes, a few quotes that I dug up. We're going to get into this. I hope you'll stick with us because I think we need it. It is folly to believe that Congress and the president on their own will make the necessary and difficult decisions to address the impending financial debacle. After all, they and their predecessors engineered the approaching tsunami. And as the situation becomes dire, the federal government's actions will grow more oppressive. Another quote. The national debt, that is, the unfunded liabilities in fiscal operating debt, amounts to tens of trillions of dollars. The Government Accountability Office, the Congressional Budget Office, and numerous other public and private institutions have sounded warning alarms about the oncoming crash. But no serious or effective steps have been taken to address this simmering financial and economic implosion. Another quote. In his farewell address to the nation after serving two terms as president, George Washington urged his fellow citizens to, quote, avoid the accumulation of debt not only by shunning occasions of expense, but by vigorous exertions to discharge the debts. Not throwing upon posteria, p- posterity, that is our children, the burden which we ourselves ought to bear. A couple more quotes. The devastating consequences of wealth redistribution, intergenerational thievery, massive federal spending, endless borrowing, and unimaginable debt accumulation on American society, and most particularly on the ruling generation and future generations, are a travesty. Stealing from the future does not establish the utopia promised by the statists. It is the rising generation's grave moral failure. How about this one? Thomas Jefferson presciently warned against such immoral collective behavior, as we're seeing today. He said this, We believe, or we act as if we believed, 
that although an individual father cannot alienate the labor of his son, the aggregate body of fathers may alienate the labor of all their sons, of their posterity in the aggregate, and oblige them to pay for all the enterprises, just or unjust, profitable or ruinous, into which our vices, our passions, or our personal interests may lead us. But I trust that the proposition needs only to be looked at by an American to be seen in its true point of view, and that we shall all consider ourselves unauthorized to saddle what may be deemed the period of a generation on the life of the majority. And a few years later, Jefferson expressed even more trepidation. He said, with the decline of society begins indeed the war of all against all, which some philosophers observing to be so general in this world have mistaken it for the natural instead of the abusive state of man. And the forehorse of this frightful team is public debt. Taxation follows that, and in its train, wretchedness and oppression. Finally, and I could go on and on, one more quote. It is, after all, far easier for today's statists to dole out money not yet earned by future generations, not yet born, and be lauded as compassionate, thereby reaping media plaudits and political benefits for generational wealth redistribution, than to be accused of denying subsidies and programs to a growing list of supposedly worthy and needy recipients and suffer the media and political backlash. All those quotes come out of plunder and deceit. All of them. And there's many more. And I just point this out to you. Because we've now reached a point, we've now reached a point, I believe, of no return. I'm not doomsaying. I'm not saying tomorrow the world will come to an end. Not in the least. I'm saying I believe we've now reached a point of no return. That neither political party is willing or capable of reversing course. That we lack statesmen today. That we lack constitutionalists today. This is why the Constitution is so damn important. That puts parameters on the government. But the fact of the matter is, ladies and gentlemen, many, if not most, of our fellow citizens are all for this. Most of our politicians are all for this. There's only a benefit for them. Stealing from generations yet born is very easy. And reaping the benefits today of votes, of positive media, well, that's what politicians do. We don't have politicians anymore who are citizen politicians, who leave temporarily as farmers, leave temporarily as small businessmen, executives, union members, and so forth, go into government for a short period of time to make a contribution and then leave. That's not what we have. We have a permanent political class just as we have a permanent administrative state. And while you may think you're free, and in some respects you are, you're less so with each and every passing day. But we have it easy, our generation. We have it easy. I want you to look your little children in the eyes. 
I want you to understand what we're doing to them. I want you to think about the generation before them and the generation before that. Great-grandchildren, great-great-grandchildren. Our ancestors came to this country for freedom. They asked for nothing. There was no welfare state. There was no New Deal. There was no great society. There was no Obamacare. There was no redistribution of wealth. They came to this country just because they wanted to be able to exercise their free will. And they knew they could make something of themselves. And they did without the government. They did without a federal income tax. They did. And today, today, look at what's happened. A hundred years of progressivism. The progressive Republicans have won. The progressive Democrats have won. I'm telling you the truth. I don't know how many more elections we can vote for people who say they're conservatives. Fiscal conservatives. Outsiders. Insiders. I don't know how many more elections. We had a Tea Party movement that rose up, threw out Nancy Pelosi as speaker, installed John Boehner, later installed Paul Ryan. A Republican majority in the House of Representatives that they have squandered year after year after year. A Republican Senate since 2014. Since 2014. And look, their leader, Mitch McConnell, this is his budget. This is his spending bill. And he's not even on the battlefield to defend it. He's nowhere to be found. He operates in the shadows. He operates in the dark. But he operates nonetheless. Our president let us down. But I don't only blame him. I blame some of his supporters. Some of his supporters on TV. Some of his supporters in radio. You didn't help Donald Trump. By cheering him on in February when they passed a budget that is a framework for this spending, a budget that was a disaster. It wasn't four levels of chess. It wasn't the the great deal of the deal. It was the beginning of the snooker by the Republicans in the House and the Senate and the Democrats as well. It was the beginning of this process. And it is very uncomfortable And yet, nonetheless, I do what I do to be one of the few who calls the shots as he actually sees them. It's easy today, after the fact, when it's too late, to jump up and down and complain about what just took place. The time to deal with this is before it's a fait accompli. I don't know how many times I've heard or read, relax, this is the process. They haven't even finished. Let's see what they come up with. That's ignorant. We need to be part of the process. What took place here is not only the most profligate spending bill in American history under the Republicans, under Mitch McConnell in particular. 
What also took place here was an evisceration of our constitutional system. The reason you vote for people in the House, the reason you vote for people in the Senate, your representatives, is so they can represent your point of view in the National Congress. If they are not free to participate in the spending and borrowing decisions, if Pelosi and Schumer and McConnell and Ryan alone sit in a dark room and their staffs and make these decisions, ladies and gentlemen, that's taxation, spending, and borrowing without representation. We are without representation. That's oligarchical government. That's what it is. It's government by a relative handful of people. On the Senate floor, no amendments were permitted. They had to vote within 24 hours of receiving a a document that's over 2,200 pages in length. On the House floor, no amendments were allowed. They had to vote on a document, 2,200 pages plus, within 17 hours. They never read it. They had no idea what was in it. Well, they had an idea about this maybe and that maybe, but no comprehensive idea. The point of a Congress, the point of a legislative process, is deliberation, is debate, is transparency. That's the point of a republic. So the people know what their so-called representatives are doing. Who's doing what? How to hold them accountable or to reelect them. That entire process was eviscerated over the course of the last few weeks. But I return to my point. The time to have raised the, the voices, the time to show alarm, isn't today or yesterday. It was all the way back last year, but in, at the minimum it was in February. At the minimum it was in February. When everybody was thrilled with the budget these guys put together. This is from February 8th, 2018. February 8th, 2018. Cut 17, go. The uh, Republicans and the Democrats are seeking to approve the biggest spending bill in American history. Now, I believe our military has been abused long enough and they need significant funds. But that's not an excuse to massively expand domestic spending. It was massively expanded under Obama, and it's being massively expanded should this go through under Donald Trump. And the one person who has been consistently involved in this under Obama and now Trump is Mitch McConnell. And it's really a disgrace, an absolute disgrace. I don't know if you know this. I mentioned it quickly yesterday. We're going to have a trillion dollars, over a trillion dollars in deficit this year. Just this year. So the fiscal operating debt will be $21 trillion. There is no real efforts to get this spending under control. They are thrilled. And all they do is throw around this word bipartisan, 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 as if that is acceptable. It's not acceptable. You have absolute lunatics like Nancy Pelosi and other leftists who who don't think this is enough. But look at the last two issues now. Spending in the budget and DACA. The Democrats are winning and they're winning big. More when I return. We'll be right back. Mark Lovin.
hope the wonderful patriots in Texas understand that Mitch McConnell's right-hand man is your senior senator, John Cornyn. And he slipped gun control language into this bill that could affect 4 million people, as John Lott has written. I will open the floodgates for the next Democrat administration. This is John Cornyn out of Texas, Mitch McConnell out of Kentucky. We can't get conservatives out of Texas and Kentucky? This, of course, is part of the problem. Now, you've heard it said many, many times, well, you know, it takes 60 senators uh, to make it filibuster-proof. The Republicans have never had 60 senators. In fact, I looked it up. Since 1950, the most senators the Republican Party has ever had since 1950, even when there were only 96 senators in 1950, 55. 55. And that was in 1996. And then again in 1998. And then again in 2004. In 2014, they had 54. What did they do in 2014? And now, of course, they have 51. See, the Democrats don't worry about that. They use the parliamentary procedures. They use the courts. They use the administrative state. They advance their agenda. They don't want, oh, we need 60 senators. Yeah, we give them 60 senators. What are they going to do? Control Susan Collins and Lisa Murkowski and Lindsey Graham? Making conservatism great again. Dial in now. 877-381-3811. I want to remind you that it is rare in recent history for Republicans to control the Senate and the House. At no time during Ronald Reagan's eight years did the Republicans control the House of Representatives. At no time. He had to deal with reality. Now, according to many of the surrogates of the Republicans on TV, hosts, radio hosts, and so forth, they say you got to deal with the Democrats. Well, there's dealing with the Democrats, and there's surrendering to the Democrats. But a president is not without constitutional weapons. Now, George W. Bush had a Republican House and Republican Senate and completely squandered it. Massive spending. Massive spending. Until they lost it in 2006. Under the great architect Karl Rove. That's true. They squandered their majorities. Bush and Rove didn't create the majorities in the House and the Senate. They inherited them. And then they lost them. And I fear that's exactly what's going to happen in these midterm elections. It's not enough to say, I'm not a Democrat, vote for me. People are on to this now. And yet this budget is a Democrat budget. And Mitch McConnell is nowhere to be found. Nowhere. He won't go to, on conservative radio. He won't go on any conservative TV shows. He's not going to defend himself. He's a coward. He's on the run. He got what he wanted. And I just hope for President Trump, this isn't his read my lips, no new taxes moment. Because he may not understand this, but he was set up 
and he took the bait. They had five continuing resolutions, if I'm counting correctly, five. Every time running up to the line, we're going to shut down the government, shut down the government. And for some reason, modern Republicans buckle. They buckle under this. Reagan never buckled under this. He shut down the government and he went to the American people and he said, let me tell you why I'm doing this. Wouldn't it have been refreshing if the president went to the American people and said, I'm not going to be blackmailed. The American people shouldn't be blackmailed by the Democrat Party that is undermining our brave men and women in the military, our brave men and women who are fighting the enemy. I'm not going to put our pilots in unsafe jets. I'm not going to put our young men and young women in tanks that don't work. I'm not going to send them up against an enemy when they're not fully equipped. And yet that's exactly what the Democrats are saying. They're saying either massively increase the food stamp program, either massively allow more illegal aliens in this country, or we're not going to support the military. I'm not going to accept that kind of national blackmail, nor should the American people. Rally the people to your cause. Explain it to them. Explain to them what this budget will do to your kids and your grandkids. It'll bankrupt them. Wait until the interest rates keep going up and up and up on this debt. And more and more of the budget is sucked up and just paying the debt. Obama's gone. He's out there making hundreds of millions of dollars. He doesn't give a crap. Gore's gone, making hundreds of millions of dollars. The Clintons are gone, making hundreds of millions of dollars. Tom Daschle, all the rest of them, Trent Lott, they're all making their money as lobbyists and all the rest. And at the end of tonight's program, near the end, you're going to hear about Mitch McConnell and Elaine Chow. In some detail. No. This was a setup. And the president unfortunately bought it. They waited to the 11th hour. As they always do. They plopped down this ridiculous document. Filled with all kinds of crap that you have to pay for. I am so sick of paying taxes you have no idea. Hard-working Americans who pay taxes, constantly told we don't pay enough, paying off some constituent group or some contractor, some tunnel, some road, some booze manufacturer in Kentucky. I am so sick and tired working 20 hours a day and paying half of my income to the damn federal government, and they still can't balance their budget. And you're still told you don't pay enough. While I watch one person on the dole after another. One excuse after another. Our ancestors asked for nothing. Not a damn thing. The whole mindset of the country has changed. We vote these bums into office. Not only won't they advance the cause of constitutionalism and liberty and capitalism. Not only won't they slow the growth of what the left has done. They aid and abet them. They aid and abet them. Since when does our agenda include amnesty? Since when does our agenda include curtailing the Bill of Rights and the Second Amendment? Since when does our agenda involve funding the abortion 
of babies, the aborting of babies under Planned Parenthood. Since when does our agenda involve funding all of Chuck Schumer's pet projects? Well, Mark, we wouldn't get military spending instead. How do you know? How do you know? Don't sign the budget. Force them to come back. Go on the offense. Give a speech. Tell these damn fools in Congress. Get out there and make the case for the American people. But instead, I can't. We don't have 60. I don't know what to do. It's getting dark. I want to go home. It's just sickening. And the sad truth of the thing is, I fear we're going to get creamed in the midterm election. And quite frankly, they deserve it. But here's the problem. As you know, if you've been listening to this program from the beginning, the Democrats want to remove this president. And Mitch McConnell and Paul Ryan just gave them the tool with which to do it. And I don't know who's advising this president in the legislative affairs shop. I don't know who's advising him on the economic side. This guy Mulvaney running around like an idiot today and yesterday. Well, I actually think it's a shut up. I thought you were good. Now you're making an ass out of yourself. This could be the president's undoing. But I am very distressed of what's going on in my business here, in the conservative radio business. I've told you from day one, it is important that those of us who have principles and beliefs, those of us who understand that we need to shrink the size of government, limit the spending, that it is not in the president's best interest to trash anybody who speaks out and out of concern and tries to urge him to do the right thing. I think he's very open-minded about these things. But when he hears the, the pom-pom boys and girls and the Rockettes cheering on these irresponsible Republican policies, and he hears that and listens to that, all the surrogates out there on cable TV, all the surrogates, and conservative and pseudo-conservative radio have done an enormous disservice to this president by surrendering their, their principles. It is not disloyal to this president to disagree with him in a respectful manner any more than it is being a sycophant to support him when he's doing the right thing. But we have an obligation as citizens to help them. To help them. Not to be parrots. But when he's pressured to go one way, we need to pressure him to go the other way. But when I look at the system, if you don't embrace the Convention of States in Article 5, if you don't embrace and realize reality, that this federal design is a design that is not in the Constitution. That the ubiquitous nature of the federal government, its open access to your wealth, its unlimited exercise of power, 
that these people are not going to constrain themselves. These people have no interest in limited constitutional government. I don't care what hat they're wearing, the D hat or the Republican hat. I don't care what baseball team they're on. This is who they are. This is what they are. And we're just going to have to accept the fact that they are not going to reverse course. If they do, it'll be a short respite. They couldn't wait for Reagan to leave office. The Bushes couldn't wait for Reagan to leave office. They're going to be kinder and gentler by massively increasing spending. Do you know that George W. Bush in office for eight years never vetoed a spending bill? Not once. Brilliant advice from Karl Rove and Pete Weiner, no doubt. Not once. Out of control spending. Out of control. Out of control spending by Obama. And now out of control spending by the Republicans in Washington. Ladies and gentlemen, that is 20 years of out of control spending. Massive yearly deficits. I don't know how we're going to come out from under this. Even more, I don't know how our children and grandchildren are. This makes me sick to my stomach. Sick to my stomach. You try and plan your future, but more importantly, you try and plan the future for them. What the hell do you do? As I wrote in Liberty and Tyranny, maybe over 10 years ago, I don't even remember. And as I've said to you many times, we are no longer a representative republic. You saw what happened. Oh, we vote. We vote. We go to the polls and vote, and then we go home. But most of the lawmaking doesn't even occur in Congress. And when it does, it occurs in a way that is unrepresentative. So we're not really a representative republic in the true sense of representative. Are we a federal republic? That is a republic that is built on a foundation of federalism? No, we're not anymore. The very states that created the federal government now live at its behest. Are we a constitutional republic? I ask you. When you listen to Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who is the new pop hero in our culture, or when you see what the district courts have done to the president when it comes to refugees and so forth, when you hear people talk about a living and breathing constitution, which means there's no constitution at all, does that sound like a constitutional republic? No. So what are we? I ask every guest this now on Life, Liberty, and Levin on Fox. I'll tell you what we are. And you're not going to want to hear this, but I'll tell you what we are. When somebody has to pay 30, 40, 50% of their hard-earned income to government at all levels, or they're going to go to prison. When somebody has to comply with every federal and state regulation, or they could face a prosecutor like Robert Mueller. You know what they call that? You know what Alexis de Tocqueville called it? A soft tyranny. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin.
also important, ladies and gentlemen, that you look at the members of the House and the members of the Senate and the Republican Party who voted for this. Because that's where it started. You need to see if your House member and your senator voted for this. Because they created the legislation that wound up on the president's desk where he made a terrible, terrible error and where he should have learned from the history of Reagan and not just Reagan, even Jimmy Carter. You know, every president, every president, I think before George H.W. Bush, but certainly before George W. Bush has shut down the government. It's the only way to control this process. It's the only way to participate in this process. Or as president, you're just going to keep rubber stamping this stuff. And that's exactly what George W. Bush did. I'm sure the never-Trumpers are going to take off on McConnell, aren't they? Being the conservatives that they are. I'm sure we're going to read article after article at National Review and the Weekly Standard. And such uh, luminous places as that, informing us of the, uh, with their profound insight uh, on uh, John, on uh, Mitch McConnell and so forth. Now, do you wish those sagging, droopy eyelids would just go away? Those bags and puffiness keep getting worse day after day? Now's the perfect time to take advantage of the crazy spring clearance sale. It's going on for a limited time at Chaminade. You can call or click right now, and you can get the brand-new Genesis Eyelid Lift absolutely free. It's Friday. The government shut down. The weekend's here. Essentially, now's the time to jump in. Here's Cindy from Flagstaff, Arizona. Dear Chaminade, your eyelid product is great. It really works. Worked on me the first time and every time after. This could be a note for my buddy Teddy. He's a big-time doctor. I'm quite serious. And he loves Chaminade. And don't forget, as I said, Teddy is a guy. Guys like it as well as men, as well as women. Right now, this breakthrough eyelid treatment is yours free when you order Genesel for bags and puffiness. Plus, you'll get the Genesel immediate effects for results in 12 hours. Go to Genesel.com or call 800-SKIN-604. 800-SKIN-604. Order today. And get the Genesel Collagen Builder and Deep Firming Serum, two bestsellers, free. And during the spring clearance, express shipping is also free. So that's five great gifts that are free. Call 800-SKIN-604, 800-SKIN-604. If you've been thinking about it, thinking about it, hearing me talk about this, don't think about it anymore. Pull the trigger. Go get it. 800-SKIN-604 or go to Genesel.com. That's Genesel.com, 800 skin 604. Now, I know there are people who will make excuses. I've heard all the arguments, so have you. We needed to fund defense. When Ronald Reagan built up the United States military to its greatest heights post-World War II for the purpose of defeating the Soviet Union, Ronald Reagan shut down the government six times. Six times. And one of the reasons he shut down the government is because the Democrats were blocking, as they always do, our advanced R&D systems. Or they were blocking, in this case, the MX missile. They also blocked once the, 
the Pershing II missile, which he put in place in Europe against the wishes of many European countries. But you really got to have a pair. You really have to have a stiff spine and stand up to this stuff and advance your cause and explain it to the American people and let the chips fall where they may. Let the chips fall where they may. And I'll tell you what's interesting. He shut the government down six times and he won two massive landslides, electoral and popular, like no Republican, no Republican ever in American history. I'll be right back. from the underground command post deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building we've once again made contact with our leader Mark Levin Hello everybody, Mark Levin here our number 877-381-3811 877-381-3811 I want to remind you we have an exclusive interview this Sunday on Fox at 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific with Senator Mike Lee. We're going to discuss, among other things, this budget process and what took place, as well as the Constitution and so forth. That's this Sunday. You're not going to want to miss that. Now, we're going to talk a little bit more about this budget situation, and then I want to read to you a, uh, an op-ed that just appeared or in the course of this program, in the editorial page of the Washington Compost by Andrew McCabe, the disgraced former deputy director of the FBI, uh, who was uh, found by the, uh, by the professional civil servants in the inspector general's office and the FBI office of professional responsibility uh, of having conducted himself in such an unprofessional way that he needed to be removed and removed immediately. But first... Let's take some calls here. Jack, Las Vegas, Nevada, the great KDWN. K Don, go right ahead. Thank you. Uh, I just wanted to mention this. We didn't vote in Ohio, Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Iowa for McConnell or Ryan. We voted for Trump, and we supported him with not only our vote, but also our money. Now, he was the one that told us that he wasn't going to allow exactly what he did today. He signed the, the agreement, not McConnell and not Ryan. And I think this is his Humpty Dumpty moment. No one, with all the machinations they tried, could stop his constituency from supporting him. But I think this is his defining moment. I think this time next year, you'll be on the radio speaking about his impeachment. And you know what? Well, I've already said uh, uh, the day after his election that they would try and impeach him. But if they lose the House, obviously... Now, all the talk show uh, geniuses have said the same thing. That that's exactly what they'll do. So what you're saying is this is going to cost him the House of Representatives. Absolutely. He, this is his Humpty Dumpty moment. There's no question about it. They've tried every machination in the world to try to get his constituency to turn on him. You look at CNN, you get the uh, PBS reports, and all these great pundits, all they can say is we can't seem to get their, his core constituency to turn against him. This Trump has done. So you're saying only Trump could get his core constituency to turn against him? That's what he did. That's what they said all along. All right, Jack. Got it. Thank you. Different view. David, West Palm Beach, the great WJNO. Go. Hi, Mark. Uh, 
Yes, sir. Uh, Rediscovering America, great book. Uh, I'm also going to tell you that Peter Schweitzer, uh, with his uh, cash, uh, Clinton cash, and now this, this new book, uh, Secret Empires, he has exposed so many of our Congress men and, well, I can't say women, but Trump was put into a corner today. If you heard the press conference, he had no choice but to sign this. Wow, 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 wow. Every conservative president's put in a corner by these members of Congress, normally not their own party. And of course he had a choice. This is a different Democratic it's, it's party. Co- of course he had a choice. It's called veto. And then he talks to the American people. And then maybe the government is shut for a week or two or three. And then they proceed, and the president gets more of what he wants, and the Congress gets less of what it wants. It's happened 20 times in the past. Finish my thought. My thought is we are in a predicament in this country right now with a depressed military. Okay, okay. You know, I'm trying to, I, I'm more than welcome to listen to you, but you got to get your history right. We had a depressed military after Carter was president. We had a Soviet Union on the march, a very, very powerful Soviet Union. In fact, the communists were, were spreading in Central America, South America. Uh, we had uh, the Nicaraguan <clears throat> communists as well. They were spreading in northwestern Africa. There were all kinds of things going on. We have many challenges right now internationally. We always have many challenges internationally. And the Democrats are always eviscerating the military. But I'm sorry, sir. You can finish your point. But your point, which I already addressed before you even mentioned it, is that when the president vetoes a spending bill like this, you still can have significant spending increases for the military on the way out in the next two or three weeks as they pass a budget, as they pass the spending bill. But you don't break the back. You don't massively increase the debt. And then pretend you have to do it because of the military. You're just wrong. I, I know it's not an easy thing. It could have gone either way. I understand that. But we're, we're in deeper. Trump gets to read briefs every day. We're in deeper uh, trouble in the world. And how, how, old, how old are you? I'm 72. And you're 72. And you lived through the 1980s and you say this. I did. I lived through the Okay, you lived through the 1980s and you said this. When the Soviet Union was on the move, and now, and now you say, look, we're in deeper trouble than we've ever been. We are financially. We are financially, there's no question. Decade after decade of spending decadence. But I'm sorry, sir. When the Soviet Union was on the move, we were in devastatingly deep trouble. When our military had been eviscerated, and the old man had a plan, Reagan. He's going to massively increase the military. He's going to fight the Democrats, try and limit it. He's not a dictator, but he vetoed their spending bills. He was a great president. but what All right, thanks come? for your call. I, I understand. I'm not going to convince you. It's, I'm just not. I'm pointing out Reagan not because he was a great president, because you and people like you keep saying that the president had no choice. Of course he had a choice. And this is my problem. If we have people who are going to appease this kind of behavior, people who are going to excuse this kind of behavior, it's going to happen again with the next spending bill and the next spending bill and the one after that. And then if he vetoes the next big spending bill, you're going to call him a hero. You should not have such an an unprincipled attitude about this. 
All the president had to do is say no. No. Stand up to the attacks. Stand up to the fight. In the end, win the day. He would have come out of this more politically, uh, stronger more politically from a political perspective. And the country would have been better off. Instead, Chuck Schumer's thrilled to death. Mitch McConnell's thrilled to death. Our military still would have been funded. Gary, in Massachusetts, the Mark Levin app. Go ahead. Mark, it's an honor. i just like to say I'm a Ted Cruz constitutional conservative, and I did everything I could here in the Northeast to try to get him elected. The problem I'm having right now is I'm having a hard time fitting in politically, being a constitutional, principled guy when it comes to everything. And what we're being told by these Trump supporters is that we left the team and we need to come back to the team. And that's not the case at all. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Who said that? All the Trump people we talk Well, they're to. not saying it to me. Well, they don't call you a show, Mark. That's why I'm calling no, you but, a show. But, but, but listen to me. I'm, I'm hearing Trump supporters who are very upset about this. Right. But what happens is they, they I, I, I listened all day today to talk radio. The Trump supporters are very upset. And then when you ask them, will you still vote for him? And then they say yes. So this is the problem. When they know that they have you no matter what, they're still going to it's still going to continue. This is why I, I thought we were going to stick to our guns this election. And stick did you vote for George W. Bush? Yes, I did. How many times? Um, just once. Do you know he never vetoed a spending bill? I understand that. I understand that. But we have to hold our people account, um, um, accountable. But I you didn't hold them accountable. Well, I'm trying to hold this one accountable, but the people won't hold him accountable, even though he's doing things wrong. And, um, you know, and until we try I, to... I, I'm sorry, sir. I have to disagree with you. I think I'm hearing people who are very upset about this, who did vote for Trump, as I voted for Trump in the general election. People were very troubled by this. I'm not hearing what you're saying, which is the Trump supporters say, support him no matter what, support him no matter what. There may be some people doing that, but there are many people saying... I still support him. I still like him, but I don't support this, and I may not vote for him again. That's what I'm hearing tonight. Right. Well, that's what I want to convey, because there's a lot of people in the Northeast over here, Mark, that will support him no matter what. No matter what he does, they support him. Did he win Massachusetts? No, he didn't win Massachusetts. Did he win any New England state? Um, I think he, uh, no, not that I know of. Did he win New York? Right. Well, that's why we're... So people in the Northeast... With all due respect, and I was born in the Northeast myself, uh, when it comes to Trump's election, it doesn't matter what goes on in Massachusetts. Again, I'm not attacking Massachusetts. I'm just stating a fact. But we're being told we left the team because we don't support what's going on right now. All right. Thank you. I'm not hearing that. Are you hearing that, Mr. Producer? I'm just not hearing it anywhere. We left the team because we're not supporting this spending bill? Honest to God, I haven't heard that phrase anywhere. People may say the president had no choice and so forth like that, but they're not accusing me or other people of leaving the team, as best as I can tell. I'll even try one right here. Rich, Omaha, Nebraska, the great K-O-I-L. Go. Mark, hey, I wanted to start off by saying, above all, and I think I speak for a lot of listeners, we trust you. We well, trust you. you implicitly. We love you. 
we we I trust Hannity. I trust Rush. I'm, I'm working on the Ingram. She's got she's got to work there. All right. What do you got? Uh, I I trust Trump too. Mm-hmm. I trust him. And although so you agree with every he, single thing he does. Not everything. Heck no. But. I wouldn't want you to agree with every single thing I do. Sometimes I look back and I say, you know what? I shouldn't have done that. That was a mistake. I agree with you. I, I agree with you. I don't disagree with you. I, I do disagree sometimes with you. But Trump, honestly, we know that he's a strong leader militarily. And All right, sir. On this, I'm not trying to analyze his character. You know I've defended him against the onslaught that is against him, which I think is outrageous. But you also know when, he, when I disagree with him on the issues, I raise it in a respectful way. To me, this was a terrible blunder. It was a terrible blunder, and in some ways he was set up, and it could well cost him his presidency if we lose the House. Is it possible he has to engage North Korea, that he has to have the weapons to do so? Well, we will have the weapons to do so. You don't understand this process. The government's not going to be shut down for six months. It could be shut down for a week, two weeks, even three weeks. And the president will come out stronger. The military will get its funding. It's just that the, the progressive Democrats and Republicans wouldn't get all the funding they want on the, uh, on the domestic side. I, I, this is why I bring up Reagan, not because he was a great president. He wanted his MX missile system, and they wouldn't fund it. And he said, no, you're going to fund it. And they said, no, we're not. And he, so he vetoed it. He wanted his Pershing twos put in place in Europe in order to challenge the Soviets, who had just modernized their... They're uh, nuclear weapons in Europe. They said, no, you're not. He said, yes, I am. And he shut it down again. He strengthened the military. He strengthened our position. What I'm saying is, it's like anything else. You got to stand up to bullies. And the president of the United States has a constitutional tool to do that. It's not a matter of if we shut down the government for a few weeks, the military won't be funded. As a matter of fact, the military is funded. Social Security and Medicare are funded. You know what's not funded? All those areas of the government the left loves. All this, this wasteful domestic spending, which is another reason I don't understand why we're so scared of this. But anyway, go ahead. What I was going to say was one of the things that Trump said during the campaign, and he got, and he, and he got quiet on it real quick, was talking about refinancing the U.S. debt. Since he's been in office, the dollar's down 13%. We owe $21 trillion, but in January 2017 dollars, it's about $18 trillion. Okay, listen to me. That's the Federal Reserve, and that is the currency market worldwide. It's nothing that Trump has done or nothing that any one man can do. You understand that, right? He's not a dictator. He's not a Svengali. He's the president. I understand that. He's picking a fight with China, and what's one of the weapons China has is not buying our debt. If they don't All right, right, listen, you really want to pick a fight with China? Then go after their banks. Exactly. Well, he's not. Exactly. He's not. No, no, I don't know about that because I think their economy is their their debt rate. <clears throat> you they can't talk macro debt. economy, macro tariffs, macro trade. We know what banks they have. We know that they are a house of cards. You want to go after China? Go after their banking system. It's a joke. Well, anyway, I trust you. I implicitly close my eyes and trust you. I think every listener. Look, we both you. love this trust. country. That's the bottom line. Unlike the hard left, I can tell you that. We all right, all right, sir. Hey, but will you do me a favor? Where are you from? Omaha. You're from Nebraska. Yes, sir. What do you make My of this guy, sense. Ben Sass? I think, uh, you know, I, I supported him in the primary. I find him to be unbearable. Okay. If, oh, 
I, okay, they both, uh, both our senators voted against it. <clears throat> I'm not even talking about this budget. I'm glad he voted against it. But Ben Sass is a big McConnell guy. Ben Sass oh, backed Corker in the Iran deal. Tell you this. You probably have more contacts than I do. I don't talk I to him. I refuse to talk to him. No, not him. Not him. I, I did speak to people. I'm, I'm not saying I'm connected, but we did. I did speak to people in a local area, and they use the word opportunist. All right. All right, my friend, I appreciate your call. We'll be right back. Lovin. Secretary of Defense, Jim Mattis, is the one who probably talked the president into signing this bill. You know what I'm finding interesting about our Secretary of Defense? He's not as tough as people suggested, old Mad Dog Mattis. Really, I mean that. I think Dick Cheney was a lot tougher as Secretary of Defense. I do. I think Rumsfeld was a lot tougher as Secretary of Defense and strategic. But uh, I just want to point out that the president who rebuilt the military more than any other past president, after Jimmy Carter, imported an enormous amount of money into the military, the strategic defense, all kinds of R&D and so forth and so on, and brought the Soviet Union to its knees, and even though people thought that could never happen, that president fought the left. He fought Tip O'Neill. During the Reagan years, we never controlled all of Congress. The other reason you veto a bill like this is to get your own party under control. It's to get your own party under control. The Republican Party is out of control. Here's the thing, folks. Mitch McConnell, Paul Ryan, and really most of them, all through the Obama years, lied through their teeth to you and me. They lied through their teeth. They put up phony objections to Obama. And you might recall that Boehner and Obama used to meet secretly. And Boehner early on started selling out. McConnell agreed to a sequestration. So every cut, $1 cut in the military, you had to have $1 cut in domestic spending, or in $1 increase in military spending, $1 increase in domestic spending, that's no way to defend a nation. So you put military spending on the same level, on par, with redistributing wealth. Is that what's in the Constitution? Until Mitch McConnell, I've said this for years, until he is removed as the leader and not replaced with a clone or a zombie like a Cornyn or an Alexander or so forth, until we get a strong fresh, charismatic, relatively young leader in the Senate. It's going to continue. Mark Levin, simply the smartest man on radio. And you can call him 877-381-3811. I want to talk to you about, well, something you may not think about that much. Your filters. When was the last time you checked your HVAC filter? Now, you might not think it's a big deal, but in fact, it's a very big deal. 
Where do you think that air goes if not through your filter? That's right, your lungs. And if you really let it go, you you risk ruining your entire HVAC system. So now you get dirty air and an empty wallet. Filter by is who I personally trust for my HVAC filters. Breathe better with Filter by, America's leading provider of HVAC filters for homes and small businesses. You know, they carry over 600 different filter sizes, including custom options, all shipped for free within 24 hours. Plus, they're manufactured right here in America. FilterBuy offers a multitude of MERV options, all the way up to hospital grade, so you'll be removing dangerous pollen, mold, dust, and other allergy-aggravating pollution while maximizing the efficiency of your system. Right now, you can save 5% when you set up auto-delivery, so you never need to think about air filters again. Let me tell you, that is really important. So rather than just go up and keep looking to see if your filter's dirty, even if you do that, It'll show up on a schedule, and you'll get 5% off, and then you, t- and you swap them out. You can save money, save time, breathe better with FilterBuy.com. That's FilterBuy.com, FilterBuy.com. Andrew McCabe, the disgraced former direct, uh, FBI deputy director, has written an op-ed for the Washington Compost, which was put out a little over – an hour ago. This is how the media, working with liberals and Democrats and miscreants and malcontents, are able to try and control the news cycle. So it's done Friday evening, so it has an effect on the Sunday shows. And uh, he says, on March 16, I spent the day with my family waiting to hear whether I would be fired. After 21 years in the FBI, one day before I qualified for my long-planned and earned retirement. You notice Michael Flynn never wrote an op-ed like this. This guy is, to me, becoming more and more disgusting. He really is. So he's writing as a victim. As day turned to night, I had a lot of time to reflect on how it would feel to be separated from the organization I loved and led, and the mission that has been the central focus of my professional life. Well, he certainly should have thought of that ahead of time, shouldn't he? Despite all the preparation for the worst-case scenario, I still felt disoriented and sick to my stomach. Around 10 p.m., a friend called to tell me that CNN was reporting that I'd been fired. She read me the Attorney General's statement. So after two decades of public service, I found out that I'd been fired in the most disembodied, impersonal way, third-hand, based on news accounts. Now, understand, this is a man who reportedly authorized leaking, and now he's upset about how he learned about how he was fired. You believe this, Mr. Producer? Now he's worried about form and process. Well, he goes on. Shortly after getting word, I noticed an email from a Justice Department official in my work account, telling me I had been, quote, removed from the Federal Bureau of Investigation and the Civil Service, unquote. I've been accused of a lack of candor. That is not true. I did not knowingly mislead or lie to investigators when asked about contacts with a reporter that were fully within my power to authorize as deputy director. And amid the chaos that surrounded me, I answered questions as completely and accurately as I could. 
This is getting weird. Let's see here. And when I realized that some of my answers were not fully accurate or may have been misunderstood, I took the initiative to correct them. Really, aren't you one of the guys who was involved in trying to, uh, to set up General Flynn? At worst, I was not clear in my responses. Now, let me just stop here as a longtime lawyer. We're getting into a lot of weasel words here. There was a lot surrounding me. Maybe I wasn't clear in my responses. Maybe I had misunderstood. Well, if you're so confused, sir, you shouldn't have been deputy FBI director in the first place. At worst, I was not clear in my responses. Because of what was going on around me, may well have been confused and distracted. And for that, I take full responsibility. No, you don't. This is an entire weasel op-ed. But that's not a lack of candor. And under no circumstances could it ever serve as the basis for the very public and extended humiliation of my family and me. No, you humiliated your family and you. You did it. After more than two decades in the FBI, you should know. You should not have authorized leaks and then lie about them. I was confused. So much was going on around me. I wonder if Mr. Mueller would have been forgiving if you'd been on the other side of the political spectrum, sir. And under no circumstances could it ever serve as the basis for the very public and extended humiliation of my family and me that the administration and the president personally have engaged in over the past year. So it's Trump's fault that the guy authorized leaking. Not in my worst nightmares did I ever dream my FBI career would end this way. Well, of course not. You thought you'd get away with it. The next day I woke to find the President of the United States celebrating my punishment. See, this is why I know you're guilty. Because you're playing to the media. You're attacking Trump. You were attacking Trump when nobody knew who you were. You take responsibility for nothing. And what's interesting so far about this piece is he doesn't explain the leaking. Does he? Andrew McCabe fired a great day for the hardworking men and women of the FBI. Great day for democracy. Now, folks, I just want to remind you, this was all lawyered. He didn't put this out without having a lawyer review it, just so you know. I was sad, but not surprised to see that such unhinged public attacks on me would continue into my life after my service to the FBI. What was unhinged and inaccurate about it? President Trump's cruelty reminded me of the days immediately following the firing of James Comey as the White House desperately tried to push the falsehood that people in the FBI were celebrating the loss of our director. I can say many people were celebrating the loss of your director. And notice Mr. McCabe never talks about the fact that the Democrats were the ones demanding Comey's head until Trump fired him. It was Harry Reid. It was Chuck Schumer. It was Hillary Clinton. Democrat after Democrat after Democrat insisting that Comey be fired. And then when Trump fired him, they immediately reversed course and said, oh, Trump is obstructing justice. Mr. McCabe forgot all that. The president's comments about me were equally hurtful and fault. With all due respect, does this guy sound like a deputy deputy? Oh, they were hurtful. I was hurt by this. For all the trashing of Michael Flynn, this is a man who is a stand-up man. This guy is a weasel. Which shows that he has no idea how FBI people feel about their leaders. But you do, Mr. McCabe? 
I was drawn to the FBI by nothing more than complicated and a desire to do good in 1994. So now we get into the life and times of uh, Andrew McKay. Mr. Producer. Mr. Producer, since uh, Andrew McCabe wants to go public and talk about his life and times, would you invite him on the program, please? Have we contacted Jim Comey's publicist for his book and invited him on the program? They didn't get back to us. Just tell them I'm, Jim, uh, I'm uh, Steve Colbert. Then I know they'll, they'll get back to us immediately. And then he wraps himself in the FBI. He wraps himself, he dares to wrap himself in the FBI when it was the Inspector General's office and the Office of Professional Responsibility that caught this guy red-handed. Then he deceived them, he dissembled to them, and then they go to the Attorney General and say, fire his ass. And now this guy dares to wrap himself in all the patriotic men and women who work for the FBI. You, sir, are a disgrace. We're not talking about all the patriotic men and women who work for the FBI. We're talking about your sorry ass. He says to those men and women at the FBI, I say, quote, fear not, set the headlines aside and give in and give in to what draws you to this work. The country needs you. You believe this creep? Now I know he's guilty. I always knew he was. Nowhere in his op-ed. Did he say that was the Inspector General's office and the Office of Professional Responsibility? The Inspector General's office, headed by an Obama appointee. The Office of Professional Responsibility, headed by a Mueller appointee and populated by civil servants, career professionals. Nowhere does he put that in his op-ed piece. And, of course, nowhere do the editors at the Washington Post insist that he put that in his op-ed piece. The insinuation is that Trump got him fired. When in fact this jerk got himself fired. That's right, you're a jerk. You're the fool that threw 22 years away. You're the fool who humiliated yourself and your family. Maybe you should look inward. Maybe you should realize that you shouldn't have leaked or authorized leaks and then lied about it, you jerk. I'll be right back. in. All right. You know, my friends at CT Shirts asked if I knew why they sell far more shirts to my listeners, you folks, than on any other program in America. It's true. It's because it because you, you see me wearing CT shirts on my Levin TV show or that I share how CT shirts are the finest dress and business casserole shirts that I own, that they look great tucked or untucked under a sports coat. I'm guessing you purchase... CT shirts because of the best. They're British styled from exceptionally smooth non-iron cotton. They come in your choice of colors, collar styles, sleeve lengths and cuffs. And I got you a great deal. Now is the time now to try CT shirts for the first time. Better yet, add three more CT shirts to your collection if you already have them. One CT shirt, one normally costs 100 bucks. Right now you can get three. Three. For just $99. That's 60% off, plus free delivery 
a six-month quality guarantee, and free returns. 99 bucks gets you three amazing CT shirts. So go to ctshirts.com slash Levin, ctshirts.com slash L-E-V-I-N. That's ctshirts.com slash Levin. Damn, I hate this call screen system. It just drops out on me, out of the blue. Mr. Producer, it's on your head now. Who shall I speak to? On the Mark Levin app, John in Arkansas. Go. Hey, Mark, I appreciate you and uh, your voice for America. And uh, uh, so thank you for all you do. Um, I have, I wasn't originally a Trump voter in the beginning. I was a Ted Cruz guy, and then I got on board and uh, voted for Trump. And I've followed him this whole past year, and I've really liked a lot of what he's done. And then today, it really disappointed me. I mean, it, like you said, it made my stomach sick. And I think you uh, had said that he probably won't veto it last night. And uh, you're right. And but I said he should. Yeah, he should. Yeah, exactly. And uh, the, and then, but my question is, why in the world did he uh, talk about vetoing it and then not go through with it? Why would you even? Why would he? That's not his nature. To- I don't know. Doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I think he was struggling with it, perhaps. Yeah. Well, I know that uh, on Rush today he had talked about Paul Ryan had come by on Wednesday to try to convince him. That it was to convince a good who? deal. I'm Can sorry. I convince who? Convince Trump that he okay. had made an emergency visit to go visit Trump. Well, I'm going to tell you the backstory, and I know the backstory. Tuesday evening, the president's office notified the conservatives that the spending bill was outrageous. But Ryan kept telling him. There's absolutely nothing that could be done to the omnibus bill that could get the Freedom Caucus members to vote for it. So they had to get the Democrat. And the president should just sign it. And then he said, we'll do something later to fix the spending issues. So the president was wondering if the Freedom Caucus conservatives would join him in demanding, you know, full funding for the wall and defunding sanctuary cities, maybe a few other things. And the thinking was that the president could tell Ryan he's wrong about the Freedom Caucus. Um, So that the president, uh, but Ryan said no. So they're having these discussions. But within just a few minutes of beginning the discussions, Ryan and McConnell said that the president said he'll sign it. So those discussions were broken off. I don't know why. Now, as for General Mattis, Mattis has dug in on this social agenda, using military funding for sex change operations. So Mattis has bought into, believe it or not, the liberal cultural agenda that's been pressed at the Defense Department. He said he's not going to suspend these surgeries unless he gets a direct order from the president. So all this stuff was going on behind the scenes. The fact of the matter is, bottom line is this. 
McConnell and Ryan set up the president. The president was told, I mean, publicly by me and others not to do this. But he did it. Unfortunately, he has to live with the political consequences and we have to live with the economic consequences. President should have vetoed it. President should have vetoed it. And let me tell you what would have happened if he vetoed it. My wife even told me this. President would have been viewed as a a man who was conquering the swamp. And it would have been right that he stood up to it. He could command. He could he could show that he would uh, he would come up with solutions and impose them. That he was a real leader on this. The idea that he had no choice is absolute BS. It is absolute BS. We all have choices, and he had a choice. And he could have dug in and fought for the next week, two or three, and he would have had to, and he would have had to fight against his own party. But in my view, he would have helped fix his own, fix his own party. He would have helped fix his own party, move significantly toward starting to control spending, funding the United States military, and writing the state of ship. But he didn't. And I suggest to you he's in Florida tonight, and this is probably bothering him a great deal. That's my guess. He's probably wondering if he made the right decision. Truth is, he didn't. I'll be back. From the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811. 877-381-3811. There was a... Uh, story a couple weeks ago on Tucker Carlson's show where he raises the question, how is CNN in all these airports? There's a piece now on foxnews.com today by Brian Flood. Growing questions about CNN's airport monopoly as network veers left. You want to know the real echo chamber? It's right here. Now, this is October 13, 2015, where I raise this, and I only raise it because, like you, I'm, I'm observant. I walk through airports, and it's endless CNN, CNN, CNN. And two and a half years ago, I raised this on the radio. Cut 15, go. Now, CNN is handling this debate, which makes it doubly pathetic. As I've explained before, the only reason CNN gets any ratings is because apparently every airport is required to run that damn network. When you're sitting down waiting for your plane, there it is, CNN. Mm-hmm. And I've mentioned it many times. Mr. Producer said there's about a dozen times. Here's July 14, 2017, which is what? A little less than a year ago. Cut 16, go. 
Why is CNN in all the airports? How, how did they get this monopoly? That's a great question. I keep asking. I've been asking it for months. How does CNN get this monopoly? Is it that they were once thought to be a, a relatively objective news organization? Well, even if that were true, which it's not, they're not now. I mean, I was in an airport today, two airports. I was at the Reagan National and, uh, and the Palm Beach Airport. As you know, I'm in Florida to do a book signing tomorrow, and I'm looking at the, every damn screen. If they don't have sports, they have CNN. Why? Maybe it's time we say to these restaurants and so forth and these airlines, get rid of them. Put something else on. Put the jewelry channel on. Put the history channel on. Put, a, put something else on. Uh, HGTV, my favorite. Put them on. But enough of this already. I mean, it's a joke. I'm back live. And one of the things CNN does is it pays to be on in these airports. In exchange, it gives free commercial time to some extent to the airport and airport advertisers. So they cut these deals for the most part, not all of them, but for the most part with these airports when they were promoting CNN as a, you know, a nonpartisan objective news outlet. And so I've been asking this question for years, and it's starting to spread. Those of us who aren't left-wing kook nut jobs with an IQ, you know, over 12, you go through an airport, and you got to watch this crap all the time, and your flight's delayed, there it is over and over and over again. It's in the bars. It's at the gates. It's in the uh, walk areas. Near the men's room, the ladies' room, the you-whatever room. They're everywhere. It's just endless airport propaganda. CNN. Now, this should be challenged. CNN is not a news organization. It's a freak show. This Brian Stelter. I've been talking about him now forever. This Brian Stelter is a joke. He's a clown. He's a moron. He gets worse every day with that fool. But he's not alone. The whole lineup is stupid. CNN is an MSNBC wannabe. Fighting over the same crumbs, to quote Nancy Pelosi. But there it is. In every, pretty much, every airport, is it not? All right, John Bolton is an outstanding selection by the President of the United States to be his national security advisor. You know, the president does a lot of good things, too. This budget thing is disastrous. But I have to say, in the foreign policy arena, he has been right on. Right on. And now he's muscling up his national security council. He's appointing Bolton. Now, the reason I like Bolton, well, it's multifold, is I worked with him in the Reagan administration. I know how terrific he is. But you've seen him. You've gotten used to him. You've become acquainted with him on TV and so forth. Very, very sensible man. Oh, he's an interventionist. No, he's not. He believes in a strong United States military. And he believes not waiting until we're attacked if we need to address an enemy. And one of the reasons I'm glad he's there is he, he's kind of a balance to Mattis. He's not a general. But he's a man with a great deal of depth and background. In the Reagan administration, both Bush administrations. And he'll be able to give the president very sound advice, and the president will make his own decisions, as the president should. Now, the left 
if you've watched any of this yesterday, hates him. Which is one of the reasons we like him. But Chris Matthews, uh, two drink, you know, two drink maximum Chris. You know what I mean, Chris. There he is on MSLSD yesterday. And he says the dumbest things, this guy. Cut nine, go. We get rid of a secretary of state known for being a moderating force who wants to believe, who believes in climate change. He thinks we should honor it. He also believes we ought to honor this truce we have, this treaty we have with, with Iran and try to forestall their nuclear ambitions. And we bring in getting rid of Tillerson. We get rid of him. We get rid of Matt McMaster. And by, we, by the way, is he slurring his speech, Mr. Producer? Somebody needs to check the, uh, the desk and make sure he doesn't have a flask there. You know what I mean, Chris, don't you? So, so far, he says, uh, you know, this great Iran deal, he's, he's opposed to that. And, of course, Tiller, Tillerson was a great moderating force. What does that mean? Moderating force to whom? For what? Go ahead. John Bolton. I, I, this, is, this is bringing in Tojo. This is unbelievable. <laughs> Tojo. A genocidal mass murder who attacked us at Pearl Harbor. It's like bringing in Tojo. Told you. Go ahead. Sorry, General. Your, me- your memory's there. I you know, you know what, Chris Matthews? You would be Tokyo Rose. He's the Tokyo Rose of MSLSD. With a slur. <laughs> you know what I mean. He's the Foster Brooks of MSNBC. We need a moderating force at MSNBC. Who would that be? Look at that lineup. One jerk and creep after another. Collectively, they don't have an IQ over 12. Now, speaking of pathetic, this guy, Senator Chris Murphy of MSLSD, you people in Connecticut, is your senator actually ever in the Senate, or does he have a, uh, a special room? Padded, of course, at MSLSD and CNN. But he is the, uh, he's a snake. Cut eight, go. I can't imagine a more reckless, more dangerous pick. I can't say it any better than Steve Clemens. <laughs> the idea that the uh, person who's first in and first out of the Oval Office on national security measures and matters uh, openly roots for preemptive war against North Korea and Iran with no congressional uh, vote. Let me, let, me, let me ask you some folks. Who is this idiot? Where did he come from? Where did he come from? Chris Murphy. Go ahead is, um, you know, just incredibly troubling. And to think about a president... Now, uh, keep in mind, Bolton has served in a number of presidentially... Uh, presidential positions that were, that were involved in confirmations as assistant secretary of this and that. He's highly regarded and respected. But you see, they try to make the president out like a nut. They try to make his advisors out like a nut, like nuts. That's what they do. Go ahead. Desperate uh, to try to turn the news away from the myriad of scandals under which he is buried uh, is going to have someone who is. Going whoa, 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 whoa. So he points Bolton to get away from the. Uh, I'm not following this. He appoints Bolton, who wants war, to distract us from a porno star? Is this guy an idiot? Answer yes. Now, next up. Chris Van Hollen. Chris Van Stupid. From Maryland, of course. Cut seven, go. 
I think this is a very dangerous development for the country. Now, they talk more horribly about Bolton than they ever have about any dictator in the world. Xi, Putin, Un, uh, the Islamo-Nazi in Tehran. They reach out to the, uh, or did, to the Castros in Cuba. There's not a genocidal maniac they won't talk to, they won't greet, whose hand they won't shake. But when it comes to Bolton, he's dangerous. He's dangerous. Go ahead. John Bolton's uh, history, uh, it's been one of warmongering. Uh, he was all in on the Iraq okay. war. He was and- all in on the Iraq war when most of the Democrats in the Senate and the House voted twice for a resolution to go to war in Iraq. Chris Van Hollen doesn't remember because he's a moron. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Pleasure to have Peter Schweizer on the program and his great book, Secret Empires, How the American Political Class Hides Corruption and Enriches Family and Friends. It's a great book, Peter. Congratulations. How are you? Oh, I'm doing great. Thanks so much, Mark. It's great to be on with you. Well, it's a pleasure. And now you get to talk to a real audience. No offense to all the rest of them. I'm just <laughs> you've, uh, got, you've got the smartest audience out there. That's always been my experience. Thank you, sir. I want to dig right in on this. And I quoted from your book somewhat earlier in the week. Uh, Mitch McConnell and Elaine Chow. Yeah. Tell us, tell us what you write about them. Well, basically, uh, you look, the Chinese government uh, has a strategy. They want to co-opt political elites. Uh, they've tried to do it in Canada. They've tried to do it in Australia, and they do it in the United States. And the way they do it uh, with McConnell and Chow is that they have greased the family into very lucrative commercial deals in China. Uh, and Mitch McConnell's a beneficiary of that because he gets gifts from his father-in-law, James Chow, to the tune of between 5 and $25 million. And, Mark, these relationships, these are not just, oh, they happen to do business in China. The Chow family is in the shipping business. And if you read the trade publications of the shipping industry, it is an open secret in that small world that they enjoy, in the words of those publications, very close relationships with the Chinese government. The Chinese- this, is, this, is, this is Mitch McConnell's wife's family. Go ahead. That's correct. Foremost uh, maritime, foremost group is the name of the entity. So the Chinese government uh, builds all their ships. It finances the construction of those ships. It provides the crews for those ships, and it provides a lot of the cargo that they haul around the world. These are Chinese state-owned entities which um, give them the business. If that weren't bad enough, you also have this sort of rather bizarre situation, Mark, where the Senate Majority Leader and a Cabinet Officer of the United States uh, the father-in-law, James Chow, and the sister, Angela Chow, have actually served on the board of the China State Shipbuilding Corporation Holdings, which is an offshoot of the largest military contractor in China. 
Um, also, you have Angela Chow. The these, these are Mitch McConnell's in-laws. That's correct, Mitch McConnell's in-laws. And CSSC Holdings, which is the company where they served on the board, um, have been identified by the U.S. Naval Academy um, as the means to finance military construction in China. So this is the heart of the Chinese military-industrial complex. And you also have the fact that after Donald Trump was uh, elected president in November 2016, uh, China was, uh, you know, concerned about statements he'd made uh, about standing up to them in the South China Sea on some of his policies on trade and technology transfer. So, a week after he was elected, the Bank of China, which is the fourth largest bank in the world, it's run by the Chinese government, put. Elaine Chao's sister, Angela Chao, on the board of directors, the first foreign national to sit on that board. So they are. So let, hold on now. So so Mitch McConnell's sister-in-law, yeah, serves on the board of directors of the largest Chinese, which is state-run bank. Yes, on the Bank of China, which is is identified uh, as as one of the economic tools that the Chinese government uses uh, to you know expand its interests overseas. Um, so, the, look, the, it's very clear the McConnell-Chow financial future is directly tied to the Chinese government. And were Mitch McConnell to do something in the Senate to upset the Chinese, they could wreak havoc on their family business tomorrow. And that's exactly now, the way the Chinese want it. Okay, now let me ask you this. As you write in your book, are there indications that... Mitch McConnell, in certain cases, <clears throat> has, as a consequence or a likely consequence, gone soft on China. Yes. Um, I, you know, I chart this. The relationship begins in 1993, Mark, um, where Mitch McConnell up until this point has been very hawkish on China. He probably gave the toughest speech on the Tian Tiananmen Square massacre of anybody in the U.S. Senate. Four years later, he's married to Elaine Chao. He visits Beijing, only the second U.S. senator to do so since the massacre, with his father-in-law, James Chao. And they're not there as part of a U.S. congressional delegation. The Chinese press is very clear. They are there as guests of the China State Shipbuilding Corporation. And what you see is two things happening in parallel, beginning in 1993 and up to the present, Mark. One is this commercial relationship that I've been laying out. At the same time, you see Mitch McConnell increasingly soft on China. He's, he becomes apologetic about the handover of Hong Kong to China. He becomes less critical of their military actions. He says that he opposes legislation related to currency manipulation as it relates to China because he's a free trader. Now, I'm I'm a free trader as well, but here's the problem. When it comes to Japan, when it comes to other countries, Burma and South America and Europe, he's not consistently free trade. It's only on China that he takes out a position of saying we don't want to deal with uh, issues related to currency manipulation. And, and I'll tell you, Peter, what's interesting. I'm a free trader, but when it comes to China, I'm less so a free trader. Right. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Because they're because they're building their military against us because they're stealing our technology. You're exactly right. I mean, they are state actors, and that's what makes these relationships so troubling. I mean, the the Naval Academy um, says that by 2030 they expect the Chinese Navy to surpass the U.S. Navy 
if current trends continue. And yet you've got the Senate Majority Leader and his family that have these close ties to big military contractors in Beijing. I mean, there's just no way around it. Um, and, you know, what, what Mitch McConnell will say is that that has nothing, that's not going to influence his decision-making at all. But, you know, I, I tell you, Mark, if we worry about, you know, political contributions swaying a politician or worry about a politician, you know, owning stock in an oil company. Or a politician going to lunch and somebody <laughs> paying for his lunch, for crying out loud. Exactly. I mean, these kinds of ties are going to have huge effects on the way they see things. And Mitch McConnell knows that the financial fate of his family is tied to the good graces and being in the good graces of Beijing. This is absolutely appalling. Absolutely appalling. Now, Peter Schweizer, when we come back, if that wasn't bad enough, I want you to tell us about the children of Joe Biden and John Kerry. That is Joe Biden's son and John Kerry's stepson and their relationships, business relationships with China. Excellent book. It really is Secret Empires. Please check it out. We have a link to it. You can get it at Amazon.com. We'll be right back with Peter Schweizer. Mark Levin doesn't just read the news, he makes the news. Call the Mark Levin Show now at 877-381-3811. How would you like to be part of an effort to put a free copy of the Constitution and Declaration in the hands of every middle school and high school student in the nation? Students aren't being taught the Constitution, so how can we expect them to understand and embrace what's necessary to protect freedom? Hillsdale College wants to change all that, but they need your help. Hillsdale is taking the unprecedented step of sending a copy of the Constitution and Declaration to every middle school and high school principal in America, along with an offer to provide free copies for every student. Hillsdale is doing this because they believe that educating the next generation is vital to preserving liberty and because they love America. Learn how you can help in this historic effort and how you can get your own copy of Hillsdale's Pocket Constitution, which you can keep or give away, by visiting levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com to find out how to help send pocket constitutions to public schools and to get your own free copy. That's LevinforHillsdale.com. Now we're here with Peter Schweizer, his terrific new book, Secret Empires, How the American Political Class Hides Corruption and Enriches Family and Friends. Um, I want to strongly encourage you to get it. You can go to Amazon, any major bookstore, or if you're on my Mark Levin Show Facebook or Mark Levin uh, Show Twitter. We'll make it convenient right there. Or on my radio website, marklevinshow.com. We're everywhere. Now, Peter Schweizer, the McConnell-Chow connection, husband-wife, is absolutely breathtaking in the relationship with official Chinese government. But so, too, is the relationship between Joe Biden's son and the Chinese government and John Kerry's stepson. Can you fill us in on that? 
Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's pretty clear cut. Um, between 2013 and 2016, while John Kerry is Secretary of State and Joe Biden is Vice President are negotiating with the Chinese, uh, their sons and a close Kerry aide um, are closing lucrative commercial deals with the Chinese government. Uh, and it gets kicked off, Mark, in December of 2013 when Joe Biden flies on Air Force Two to Beijing. Uh, he's there to talk about a lot of issues, the South China Sea, trade, economic issues, etc. Well, with him on Air Force Two is his son, Hunter Biden. And after that trip, uh, Joe Biden is criticized in the, in the Asian press for basically being soft on Beijing. He doesn't really challenge them on anything. Ten days after they come back from that trip, Hunter Biden, who has his small firm called Rosemont Seneca, scores a $1 billion deal. That's with a B, a billion-dollar deal with the Chinese government, a private equity deal. And this involves him, and it involves um, uh, the uh, Rosemont uh, entity. And Rosemont, the name Rosemont, is the name of the Carey, Teresa Hines Carey and John Carey estate in Pennsylvania. And they basically uh, invest money for the Chinese government. There are two other deals. The other one is something called a Rosemont. Op- All right, let me slow you. Let me slow. sure. So, a billion dollar deal yeah. involving Joe Biden's son in this hedge fund called Rosemont. Right. And what exactly is Hunter Biden's background in hedge funds? <laughs> It's zero. Um, you know, when his father uh, was picked to be Barack Obama's running mate in 2008, he was a lobbyist, and he was doing lobbying work for the casino industry. So he has no background in private equity whatsoever. And the Chinese cough up $1 billion to invest in his firm? That's right. In fact, they later, six months later, expanded to $1.5 billion. Um, and this is, again, all going on while his father is a point person on policy towards China. And his father's going soft on China, too, just like McConnell. Yes, that's exactly right. And, and I quote in the book, I lay it out, uh, Japan, the Philippines, all these allies are critical because at this time, December 2013, Mark, it's when China has, has made their territorial claim in the South China Sea. And everybody is concerned about this flexing of muscles. Joe Biden goes to Beijing and rolls over for them. And everybody's kind of mystified. I think one of the reasons he rolls over is what happens 10 days after they return when his son, with no background in private equity, scores this billion-dollar deal from the Chinese government. This is important. This is not an American company doing business in China. This is not a you know, Chinese company that's kind of run. This is the Chinese government itself giving a billion dollars to this Rosemont Seneca entity that he has set up, and that includes Devin Archer, who's a longtime Kerry aide, who is co-finance chairman of his 2004 campaign. And you've got Chris Hines, the stepson, uh, who's also involved. You've got these two other deals with the Chinese government that follow, all at the time that John Kerry and Joe Biden are negotiating with the Chinese government. John Kerry's stepson, what's his role? Well, his role is, is really as an investor. He puts up half the money for Rosemont Seneca Partners, which is kind of the vehicle that gets this going. But he's also involved in the third deal that occurs. It's called Rosemont Realty. This is a real estate firm uh, that he has invested in. Again, Rosemont is the name of the, the Kerry Hines estate. Um, and the Chinese uh, come in and buy 75% of the company. And what's interesting about this transaction, Mark, is – 
Rosemont Realty becomes Gemini Rosemont Realty. People can look it up online. What's interesting about Gemini, Mark, is this is a company that is linked to uh, Costco, which is this large Chinese conglomerate you might recall in the 90s, was involved in all this military activity, and is regarded as the fifth arm of the Chinese Navy. So it's not only a Chinese government entity, it's linked to the Chinese military, and they buy part of Rosemont Realty, where Chris Hines is an owner. So I assume these young men are very, very wealthy right now. I think they are. I think that, um, you know, look, these deals are, 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 you know, lucrative. Part of the problem is we don't know exactly how much money they've made. This is how crazy this is, and this is why I called the book Secret Empires, Mark. Think about Joe Biden for a second. If he gets a $1,000 campaign contribution, he has to disclose that. If he has $1,000 in general electric stock, he has to disclose that. If his son gets a billion-dollar deal from a foreign government, the Chinese government, no disclosure requirements. That's why why these secret empires are so troubling, and they have to be dealt with. Now, in addition to their sons, you said there was a campaign co-chairman of the John Kerry for President campaign. What happened to him? Well, his name is Devin Archer, um, and he actually got arrested in 2016 on another scheme that I talk about in the book that Hunter Biden uh, very well could be involved in. Uh, this was a scheme, believe it or not, Mark, to bilk the poorest Indian tribe in America, the Ugalala Sioux of South Dakota, in a fraudulent bond deal, a $60 million bond deal. He was arrested in 2016, and he's going to be going on trial in about eight weeks on those charges. So Mr. Archer has got um, big problems beyond just doing these deals with China. Is this, just, I mean, is this something for the Ethics Committee to investigate, or, or this isn't the sort of thing they do investigate, or where, where do we go from here? Well, I, I will say, uh, and I think probably you'll be hearing more about this in a week or so, I've, I've had uh, people from Capitol Hill reach out that are interested in having the uh, uh, House Oversight Committee uh, look into this. I think it has to be looked into, and this is the trend of the future, Mark. I mean, we can forget about, you know, Congressman Jefferson, who had the $90,000 cash in his freezer. Ninety thousand dollars is chump change. These are yep. large, massive deals involving foreign governments. And unless we get a handle of this, it is completely undermining the decision making we have in this country. Because, look, they are they are by nature with these commercial ties with the Chinese government going to be softer on China. It, it, there's no way that it cannot influence their decision making process. And China is a huge problem. I mean, China is stealing our technology left and right. It's forcing companies, American companies in China, uh, to cough up their technology with these phony partnerships with state-run Chinese companies. Uh, they're, they're also stealing our technology through uh, cyber warfare and, and on-the-ground spies and so forth. Uh, I mean, we we can't treat China as just a trading partner, and we can't yeah. allow these politicians with these lucrative links through family members to China to get away with it, quite frankly. And here we have the Republican leader in the United States Senate, based on your reporting. Yep. Uh, he and his, his uh, in-laws, and through his in-laws, him, of course he's going to be looking over his shoulder when he's making decisions about on the United States' position on China. How can he not be? That, that's exactly right, Mark. And, and this effort that China has put uh, forward, they are the ascendant power and rival. Um, Russia, 
I get why people, uh, you know, focus on Putin, and, and Putin is, is, is not a good guy. But Russia is a declining power. China is the ascendant power. And it's amazing to me when we look at sort of the press coverage. And look, I said at the beginning that they ought to look at, at, at this whole issue of Russia collusion, you know, when it first came out. But there's nothing there. And, and what's mystifying to me is they're looking at non-existent deals that never occurred while you actually have billion-dollar deals involving a foreign government, the Chinese, and the family members of senior elected officials in Washington, D.C. Uh, and it seems to me that we ought to be looking at this stuff because it is very clearly undermining our sovereignty. And let me just give you this one illustration, by the way. The money that Hunter Biden's firm got to invest, one of the investments they made, and I write about this in the book, is in a company called CGN, China General Nuclear. And they become an anchor investor in that company. Less than a year after the vice president's son's firm invests in CGN, senior CGN officials are arrested by the Obama FBI for stealing nuclear secrets. That's how bad it's become and, and what they're willing to do to make a buck. They're willing to align themselves with these kinds of companies that are doing exactly what you're talking about, which is stealing our secrets and trying to gain a technological edge over the United States. I only have a minute or two, but let me ask you this. Have the intrepid reporters at CNN or NBC or ABC or CBS or MSNBC taken your baton where you've laid this out? Have any of them actually started running with it? Uh, they have not, Mark. And, you know, this is, this is a huge problem. Uh, when I wrote Clinton Cash for a year and a half, uh, I was basically on one show on CNN. Then when Donald Trump was elected in January of 2017, I came out and said he needs to create a big ethical wall between his investments and his jobs as president to make sure that there's no corrupting influences. When I made that announcement, they had me on one show with Clinton Cash in a year and a half. Five CNN shows reached out and said, will you come on and talk about Trump's ethics? Mm -hmm. That's the kind of thing that we're seeing. Ethics should not be a yeah, corrupt. issue. Listen, Peter, I got to go hard break. Outstanding job. I know how hard you had to work on a book like this. And I want to congratulate you. And God bless you. Thank you for doing this. And I want to strongly encourage you folks to get this book over the weekend. It's called Secret Empires. You can get it on Amazon.com and so forth. So I really wish you would take a look at it. Here's why I'm a big fan of Simply Safe Home Security. Simply Safe System is prepared for anything that gets thrown at it. If a storm takes out your power, Simply Safe is ready. If an intruder cuts your phone line, Simply Safe is ready. Say an intruder destroys your keypad or siren. Well, Simply Safe will still call the authorities and get you the help that you need. Here's what I love about this. Sure, you might consider it overkill. I don't. Maybe you don't need to be ready for every worst case scenario. But that's what makes Simply Safe Home System Security so great. It's always ready. Now, Simply Safe's triple safeguard protection could cost an arm and a leg, but it doesn't. Instead, they only charge you what's fair. So 24-7 professional security monitoring is just $14.99 a month. And with Simply Safe, there are no contracts and no hidden fees. That's why I recommend them to everyone I know. You've got to check it out. Go right now to simplysafemark.com. That's simplysafemark.com to protect your home and your family. Simplysafemark.com. Mark Lovin. Now 
the Palestinian uh, regime has been targeting our ambassador, David Freeman, our ambassador to Israel. First, they called him the son of a dog. Now they say he should be on a terrorist list. Now, this is quite precious. Let me get this straight. A terrorist, like Abbas, heading a terrorist group, the OPLO, insists that our ambassador be placed on a terrorist list. And he calls our ambassador a son of a dog. Let me suggest that Abbas is a son of a pig. The problem is, pigs have high IQs. Mr. Abbas has a very low IQ. Ladies and gentlemen, every Friday, in your honor, here we go.
get this Sunday exclusive interview with Mike Lee for the entire hour. A great senator, 10 p.m. Eastern time on Fox News Channel, 7 p.m. Pacific. We hope you'll join us. We salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, and emergency personnel. Good night, Sprite. Good night, Griffey. Good night, Pepsi. Good night, Smokey. And good night, Zelda. By the way, that old terrorist, the boss, I'd say you're the son of a pig, but pigs are smart. You're not. See you on Monday.